Are we recording? No, too much, too much, too much, too much. Hey, everybody, welcome to Ducks Watch Together. I'm Josh. I'm Kylie. And on today's episode, we have an opponent's choice. Kylie, what does that mean? Um, it means that we picked things for each other to see. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What is the, what's the nutshell of this idea here? We picked films based off of categories for the other person to see. Nice. Where did the idea come from, Kylie? My brain. Oh, there you go. Right. <laughs> yes. It's not inspired by anything. Well, yeah, no, it doesn't have to be, but like, credit where credit is due. You mentioned this at one point. I thought it was a good idea. Game recognized game? Game recognized game, indeed. All right. Um. So... No, yeah, I just didn't know what to say. I just, <laughs> I didn't have a sentence. Um, yeah. Okay, so. <laughs> I don't know, Kylie. We... Do you want me to leave this? Yeah, sure, go for All it. All right, everyone. So here's what I did. So I came up with this idea, and then Josh and I put it off for a really long time. And then we finally did it. Yeah. <laughs> And here it is. We are here. We we argued out five categories. We then picked five movies, one for each category, and we made the other person watch it. And we're gonna see. Um... <laughs> we're gonna see who won. Oh, uh, Kylie did. Kylie won. That, that's well, how this No, sounds. no, Josh. I don't. I don't think you enjoyed a <laughs> single second of any of the no, movies I had you Josh. watch. No, that's not true at all. You can't take my... You can't take my nonsense talk about Enter the Dragon <laughs> as understanding how I feel about that film, because my responses are, ew, he licked his own blood. <laughs> and my 12-year-old response is, man, he's cool. My adult response is, oh, God, don't do that. Don't look your own butt. Oh. <laughs> um, I watched Brightburn last night. You also don't know my thoughts on Goodfellas. I don't, yeah. Um, you don't know my thoughts about Citizen Kane. You're, you are correct. The film I've seen. The film you've seen. You're not the only person that liked my review of Before Sunrise. Man, I thought someone was going to, like, rip me apart. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very honest review. I didn't give it any stars. I don't know how to give it stars. I know. There's so many people credited for this film. Why are there so many people? Two. Two you tattoo. No, there's like 20. <laughs> Actors? Yeah. Yeah, all the... Uh, listen, there's uh, the guy who invites him to the play. His friend. The poet. Uh, the German arguing couple on the train. The lady who Ethan Hawke verbally abuses. Yeah, all of the people. <laughs> <laughs> the guy that he possibly lies to about giving him money for the bottle of wine. Listen, Ethan's going through a time. <laughs> yeah. All right. I watched Brightburn last night. Okay. It's not bad. Well, it was on my anticipated of the summer and it did not burn bright. Um... I still have it if you want it. You can. Can I own it? No, you have to turn it back to the red box. Can I own it? 
Um, if you bought it. Can I own it? Not this copy. Okay, I'm gonna keep it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take it back to the red box actually. Um, but yeah, no, if you want to borrow it, you're welcome to. It's an interesting idea. Um, I will say that it is. There is some gross moments in there of like, oh, I don't I don't need to see this ever. Like when I almost puked in theaters yesterday. Like worse, but yes. Oh gosh, I was so close. Uh, I like was like, oh no. I was kind of surprised you stayed. <laughs> <laughs> like you knew what was coming. I did. Mr. Tell. <laughs> uh, we also saw scary stories to tell in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. Not enough stories being told in the dark. Mm, not enough scary? <laughs> Just dark. Just gross. <laughs> yeah. And a Chris Evans knockoff. Uh, Tommy's gone pretty quickly. You're not wrong. There's also some weird tie-ins with Nixon and stuff. The film started out having something to say, and then didn't. And then it just didn't. It, it was weird watching that film in the same summer as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because I genuinely feel like, in some ways, they're simil sim similarly? similarly themed. And that sense of, like, the end of the 60s is the death of innocence... One of them explores it way better than the other one. Annabelle comes yeah, home. Yeah, totally. Annabelle comes home. Yeah. Oh, Annabelle. I mean, for what that movie, I think, wanted to be, Annabelle's the... Be I mean, like, Annabelle's not for children, but it's the better <laughs> version of it. Yeah, I agree. Where it does all the mo the montages of all the monsters, and we have to go through them and everything, but it does it in a much more satisfying Manner. Yeah, I agree. Scary stories ended up just feeling like an it ripoff. Yeah, uh, yeah, because no. like you have your collection of kids, and each of them are gonna get spooked. You were definitely struggling with one character in particular. Like you were on board, and you're off board, and you're on board, and you're off board. Yeah, well, sometimes he reminded <laughs> me of myself, and other times he was wrong. <laughs> Yeah, I think, like, when we're introduced to that character, I was like, I really relate to this kid. And then, like, his next line, I was like, I'd no longer relate to this kid. <laughs> Kylie, do you have an inquiry of the half-squared Fortnite for us? Sure. If you could make... <laughs> I love it. Choose a person. Okay. Choose them now. What's the context? Choose the person. What's the context? If you're gonna make them do something. Oh... What did I make him do? Okay. Um, what person am I going to choose? You ha They have to be able to, like, also, like, listen to you. Like, you can't just be like, you know what? I'm going to choose Keanu Reeves. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Well, <laughs> I guess I'll choose Anne. Okay. Josh. <laughs> yeah. There was a movie that you could make Anne watch ah. with no strings attached. What movie would it be? What is a movie that I would make Anne watch? No strings attached. Like, 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 it's not like an agreement. Like, if you watch this, I'll watch the prequels. Or if you watch this, I'll watch Dune. If you watch this, I'll watch it, the It miniseries. <laughs> it's probably something that I think I know she would like, but... She may not get around to it for a while. You know what? It's 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 probably Spider Verse. 
because like I know she'd like Spider-Verse she just hasn't watched it yet and every time I suggest it she's like yeah sure at some point but not tonight it's Spider-Verse it's Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse Kylie are you picking a person now? <laughs> I'm gonna make him watch a walk in the clouds I watched that with my mom recently because <laughs> she had it on her DVR, which was shocking because she does not like Keanu Reeves. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> you, uh, you have uh, some large hurdles to overcome in your family. No, yeah. it's perfectly fine. I'm okay with people not liking the same things as me. I'm pretty it comfortable was a with joke, that. Kylie, it was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> self director whose name I don't remember yeah but he's done all those films with Mary Louis Mary no wrong one <sighs> he did a cult movie with the girl Mary Elizabeth Winstead yeah from Scott Pilgrim yeah okay yeah he did a bunch of films with her oh okay she was gonna be the Imogen Poots but Imogen Poots is much more of a wispy whisperer fair enough uh, he was on a podcast that I was listening to that Oh gosh, called... I thought you were going to say, like, he was recently arrested for crimes. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> he was, so I picked up this podcast called Screen Drafts, which is basically, like, two people, like, have a draft of movies, and they're making, like, a top seven list. And I've only listened to one episode, uh, based on a recommendation of another podcast, but he just happened to be on that episode, and I was like, he seems like a really interesting guy. Was it... Was it, was it, uh, did David Ura tell us to watch it? No, uh, I'm gonna make David Sims watch a bad film. You're gonna make David, you don't know, you made me pick a person (laughs) that I knew! Because I need him to not think that Nick Jonas is the worst performance (laughs) he's ever seen. I know what, I know what film you need to make David David Sims watch. Dodgeball. Max. What? The dog movie. Why? Well, because he cried at the trailer. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know, Josh. There's too many movies, too old time. You gotta start with a person. Okay, uh, you. Okay. No, John. Okay. What movie could I make John watch? You and John actually have similar taste in movies. No, not your John. Oh. My friend John. Oh, okay. This kid? Yeah. I don't know. Here, I'll pick him. What? No, you can pick your John. No, That's fine. See. No, sorry. Listen. We have a similar no, no. taste in movies. You do. All right. Yeah. Let's watch Cars 2. Because <laughs> you both want to sit in hell for an hour and a half? Sure. Sorry. Hour 45. Yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah. No. <laughs> Listen, I am one of the bigger Disney shows in this world, and... Uh, I'm not ever sitting through that movie again. So you think. When <laughs> when I have children, um, the Pixar collection is going to be there minus Cars 2. It's, I'm not going to get rid of it. I need to have it for my soul to be complete because completist. Uh, but it's just going to sit in a dark corner of the room all by itself. Nobody looking at it. Nobody knowing it's there. And when my children are like, why is there Cars 1 and Cars 3? And I'm like, well, because there's one main character in this one and three in this one. I'll tell them you're lying. 
Well, you know what? Aunt Kylie is an honest human. <laughs> She's also going to show... Fine. You can show them the Star got, Wars prequels and Cars 2. I got there my you answer. Go. It's okay. going to be your children and it's going to be the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> <sighs> well, friends, if you want to answer the inquiry of the half Fortnite, which is pick someone and make them watch a movie. Uh, you can do so on our Facebook page. Ooh, tag that friend so they can also see that you like our podcast. Maybe what it is is you make that friend listen to our podcast. That could be a cool thing, too. You can also do so um, on Facebook at Friend of a Friend Podcasts. Uh, you can find us on on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. We're going to leave us a five-star review or any star review as well as hit that subscribe button. <sighs> You can also... That helps us get more listeners. And now on with the show. Okay, so the first question is, what is a film that the other person needs to revisit? Oh, okay. All right. So, uh, Kylie chose for me Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Because you watched it incorrectly the first time. You are correct. You watched it with friends. This is a no friends up movie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this is a pay attention movie. Yeah, this is a put your phone away and watch movie. I think once you get through it one time, like actual <laughs> once you do that, you can like have it on as like a, oh, okay. Party once movie. you understand the patriarchy holding down these women. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, then, then you can yeah. just be like, oh, there's a fight. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But you need to be there for that scene where like, Michelle Yeoh and the other girl whose name escapes me. Zhang Zhi? Yeah, they're hanging out and like she starts writing her name and like Michelle Yeoh knows and you're like, ooh, Michelle Yeoh! Figured it out! <laughs> Michelle Yeoh is a hero and like, I love her. Mm-hmm. And she's great. Like, she just holds everything true in this movie. That's good. Um, Yeah, no. So the first time I watched this, I didn't have a positive opinion of it because I watched it with a group of friends who were like anything that was from Asia, they were like, it's the coolest thing in the world! And I'm like, cool story. Well, now you only have one friend that does that. Yeah, there you go. And I would even say that that friend is subjective. <laughs> I'm subjectively wait, your friend? No, no, wait, no, hang on. Stop, no. Wait, that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. What I meant was is that you are objective about the whole thing. <laughs> You, like, can discern between good and bad, or something that you like that is maybe not great. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, so then I watched it this time, and I love this movie. It's amazing. The filmmaking is spot on. The performances are great. I love the little fact that, like, none of them are speaking the same language on the set. Or, like, they're, like, it's, one of them's doing it phonetically, and one of them is, like, it's just, like, there was a huge language barrier to make this film. Um... It just looks beautiful. But then, like, the story is, like, really intriguing and really interesting. And, like, I was definitely, like, between Michelle Yeoh and Chow Young-Fat, I was like, please, oh, please, come on, let this not end the way that I think it's going to (sighs) end. I didn't. It's fine. I just wanted happiness for everybody. We want happiness for nobody. No, yeah, no, that's (laughs) not what we, yeah, we, yeah. Josh, my films aren't happy. (laughs) <laughs> no, they in fact are not. They are the one that the one that even could be considered happy is the one where you're like, well, I hate this, but you might like it. <laughs> My films end satisfyingly. 
I don't believe in this thing known as catharsis. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this movie has some good catharsis. It's fine. Um, also, here's what I've determined after watching Crouching Tiger. Uh, we just need, from now on, all chase sequences just need to be serene tree jumping chases. <laughs> because I love them. Like... Let me tell you, Josh, I got an anime for you. It's a little ditty known as Naruto. <laughs> I just love how it was such a good thing. Like, in expecting, like, okay, you're like, yeah, we're gonna chase each other down. And then all of a sudden it would just be like... <laughs> oh, we're gonna slow jump now. <laughs> it was the best. Like it was, it just subverted every expectation, and it was so perfect. You're like, oh, I just want to live in this world. And that fight, that fight with uh, Michelle Yeoh, uh, where it's her experience uh-huh. with the different weapons, even though they're not as powerful, that helps her to overcome. Yeah. Oh. It was great, like because I love that. That's that's what I like about good good storytelling and good action film, is that the the fight sequences come out of character and they tell a story, and that absolutely did that. <sighs> so it's good times. I thank you. I had been saying for a while that I wanted to rewatch this and get a better opinion of it because the first time I experienced it, I experienced it wrong, and I listened. So, yeah. Um, so one of the reasons, one of the things I think would be interesting is to ask the other person why, why you assigned this film. You did it wrong. Um, I'm trying to think of the other films that you, that I had in consideration, but this was the, this one was the clear winner. Um, cause you're pretty vocal about like, I need to sit down and rewatch it, but nothing comes to my mind. But right. what I've realized is that sometimes you think you've seen a film and you haven't. <laughs> Okay. So, like, Halloween's a good example. Yes. <laughs> and so, like, there were films that I was looking for that you disliked. I wanted to see if, like... Maybe he just never <laughs> saw it. <laughs> um, the, this is the only one I remember, and I don't have any of my honorable no, mentions good, yeah. right now. But I just... it. I talk about this film enough. Yeah. And you're always like, meh! Well, and I, I had friends! Yeah, no, you're not wrong. Um, and I was appreciative that this was the one that you picked for this because I don't get around to watching too many things that are not specifically for the podcast, and I had been said that I wanted to get around to it, so, yeah. That's why I forced you to watch it. Good job. Yeah, no, I, I, I like all of the films you made me watch in some way, shape, or form. It's like I tried... This is the hardest list I've tried on. I also tried. No, I'm not think... saying you didn't. I'm saying that I usually don't try. <laughs> You're like, that's where I want to get rid of lists, Josh. <laughs> they take effort. I'm so sorry. Uh, Kylie, what did I pick for you? Citizen Kane. Uh, yeah, go for it, yeah. Citizen okay. Kane. I was going to say if you had any final thoughts on Crouching Tiger. But... Uh, so I watched Citizen Kane as yeah. a youngling, and I don't. I remember being pretty neutral about it. But, I mean, I was young, and I don't understand things. Yeah. It's a sled. Yeah. Cool sled. <laughs> yeah, but now I understand. It's about a man. Well, here's what I think it's about. All right. It's about a man who's trying to regain a sense of love and comfort and security that he felt as a child throughout mm-hmm. his life. Um, and his actions show that, and also that... Our legacy is only going to be remembered in a few <clears throat> snippets by those who never knew us, but by those who 
remember us, it might be remembered more. Also, I recognize that the Thomas Thompson, Thomas Thompson, the reporter guy, uh-huh. like, his face is never shown. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't matter. <laughs> he matters, but, like, I thought that was really interesting, that it's, like... That this person, because Susan Kane's Kane's our main character. Charles Foster Kane is our main character, but the person who's trying to uh, figure stuff out is not as important as the person we were trying to figure out. Um, yeah. It was a wild ride. Um, it's also very interesting to watch it in a 2019 context mm-hmm. uh, because uh, with our political climate as it is, it's very interesting that. When they talk about politics, Citizen or I keep calling him Citizen Kane, as though, as though, Mr. Citizen Kane, as though that's you. his first name. <laughs> um, Kane is demonized for a lot of his past mistakes. However, with our current political system, when we find out things about people, we kind of brush it under the rug. Yeah, to certain extents. Um, and it's just interesting to think that Kane is very similar to Trump in the idea that he's a businessman going into politics, whereas one, they don't elect him, and in the other, they do. And so it's just very interesting to see how our viewpoints on who represents us has... I, I think that was one of the things that I also really liked about watching it this time through, um, Kane is a movie. <coughs> Citizen Kane is a movie. Oh, it's the vertical of movies. It's the it's the vertical of movies. Yeah. Oh, great, <laughs> great. Um, I'm gonna throw my two cents into this okay. argument because I think Citizen Kane being the best movie is like the traditional yes. viewpoint. While like now it's the new hipster viewpoint to say it's Vertigo, <laughs> and like I don't know, I don't think Vertigo's even his Hitchcock's best film. <laughs> I think Vertigo is just Hitchcock's most Hitchcock film, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, go for it. His his yeah, his best film's Rear Window. Oh. <laughs> Rear Window's probably my favorite. I like Rear Window a lot. Um Anyways, we're not here to talk about sorry, that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um You were uh, <laughs> yeah. No no, you were gonna throw your two cents in about Citizen Kane. And I think that I understand. With my, with my limited film history, the way that things were shot in this film and the way that sound was utilized seemed very progressive mm-hmm. for that time. Yes. And so I see that a lot more in Citizen Kane than I do in Vertigo. Um, and that's not to say that it isn't there in Vertigo, but it's easier for me to recognize because when I watch older movies, older movies are a lot of... Let's point the camera and maybe we'll change some things up. But he has some shots that are like, it looks like they're coming from the ground. So like a low angle shot. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So there's just a lot of different, there's a lot of different things in this film that I recognize than possibly in Vertigo. And I think that, you know, I don't always appreciate filmmaking, but I noticed it. (laughs) Oh, oh, be still my beating heart. Like, yes. Um, in the debate of Citizen Kane versus Vertigo, I think I might have to stay on the side of Citizen Kane because I like Vertigo a lot. I think it's a really well-made movie. Um, I agree with you that it might not even be my favorite, per- my personal favorite, or what I would say is the best Hitchcock. Um, 
I might go with North by Northwest or mm. even Psycho. Is that the um, one in the this Rushmore? Do we yes. make it to Rushmore? Yeah. <laughs> we make it to Mount Rushmore, <laughs> yes. Um, but Kane, I think, what I like about Citizen Kane is that I've watched it several times over the course of my life, and each time I watch it, I'm in a different spot, and the movie then means something different to me. And that's what I really like about the, this film that Orson Welles has created, is that I think it is a movie that remains relevant to the day, just specifically with the character of Charles Foster Kane, in that we're always going to have larger-than-life figures larger than life well-off rich figures in our society tabloid figures tabloid figures yeah and how we look at them and treat them and interact with them is what lens that we're then going to put upon citizen kane as a film and i think that is a more relevant conversation to be happening than anything that's happening in vertigo so to speak um i love that one of the re the reason why I was like this why this was the one that I wanted to assign for you is just because since we have been doing this podcast for over three years now and like just l talking about film more often we, I, we I, don't do the older ones <laughs> no we do um I wanted to see if you just looking at film more critically for a good period of time had maybe could maybe help you or maybe just help Citizen Kane become a more relevant film to you as well because I know that a lot of times you have said that um, the filmmaking of something isn't something you look at you're there for story and characters um, and I think that while this does have a good story and characters and like the mystery of Rosebud so to speak is not really relevant to the film it is a mystery that weaves through but that's more just a plot device or a MacGuffin, really, at the end of the day. Well, the only... It's importance of it is to... Even in someone's depth, depth we're still looking for somewhat of the answer yeah, of, like, absolutely. who were they as a person? And that being their final word, like, it must hold some super importance. And the sled itself doesn't... It's just a metaphor for how as adults we cling for something that gives us comfort and makes us like feel safe yeah absolutely um i also like that kane as a character is very flawed is kind of a, is is hard to like at times especially when you look at him in terms of his relationships uh to both of his wives um he's she's not a good dude in any way shape or form and yet he is a character who you want I will say that I wanted him to be able to find that slice of relief that almost that slice of happiness that he was looking for that he'd been searching for pretty much ever since he was taken off his farm as a child um and I another thing about Kane who that's a little bit more flawed is that the way that he conducts his newspaper business yeah and how <clears throat> he goes out and he says like we have all these principles and then he's okay with being a little bit more like scandalous in how they conduct yeah. the truth. Um, I mean, that that's similar to that, that's similar to Orson Welles himself because other than Citizen Kane, I know he has like the third man. He's in the third man. Yeah. He's in it. He yeah. didn't direct it. Yeah, no. Does he have like a heart of darkness type sounding <laughs> film? <laughs> Dark heart, <laughs> the evil heart. <laughs> Did he direct another film? I mean, yeah, he's got other films. <laughs> it's one of them, The Heart of Darkness. 
he did not direct the documentary <laughs> that is about Apocalypse Now. No. I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up because you're not gonna know. I'm I'm working on it. Um, but but other than a lot of these things, Orson Welles that I know him for is for the uh, War of the World radio. Uh huh. Which was prior to this, the mm-hmm. War of the Worlds radio show, yeah. Um, which, if you don't know, it's a fascinating story yeah. where he just goes and reads War of the Worlds and people think that it's real. Uh, Touch of Evil. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, Touch of Evil is him, but based on what you were saying, I was not getting there. Uh, darkness, Evil. Oh, I didn't hear you say the word evil. That's okay. Uh, yes. Touch of Evil is also his, yes. Um... I also know him for F is for Fake, mm-hmm. which is a film all about. It's a doc. I don't know, documentary. It's a documentary. Thing. It's a thing yes. all about lying. Yes, <laughs> all about lying. Yes, and like how we as audience members like to be fooled. Yeah, and like now everything is just tying together. Yeah. that Orson Welles is just a is a goofer. Yeah, he's a little scoundrel. <laughs> he's a little scamp. <laughs> <laughs> and so like everything is just. Yeah, he is a fascinating person, and like, especially when you look at his radio days, and when he was doing theater in New York, and all of those things, when he gets to Hollywood, he gets, it's, I would say it's, so Citizen Kane is his first film, and then beyond that, I think he gets a little more jaded about everything, because like, F is for Fake is all about lying, um, and it's all about that falsehood, but it is kind it's more mean, not mean-spirited, but it's definitely harsher than something like they would do earlier, because even like the War of the Worlds radio thing, which he just fooled everybody, like he was doing it for art, like that's why he was doing it. Um, Charles Foster Kane as a character is also based on William Randolph Hearst, who was the like ginormous news magnate of his day. He, I think it's the Times. Is The New York Times is what he founded, um, and they wouldn't run ads for this movie. They wouldn't They wouldn't cover it. Like, it was all... Anything they did was, like, slanderous. Like, he did not like this as, like, the possible portrayer, uh, portrayal of him in the world. And, and Orson Welles did that in some extent as, like, a kind of, like, listen, Hearst, you're not invaluable. Like, this is who you are. I'm gonna put your life on screen even if it's not your name, so to speak. And so there is some of even that here in Citizen Kane. So yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a good movie. Beat by How Green Is My Valley? Yeah. How Green Was My Valley? Yeah, a film that I, think, I remember you were trying to look for it, maybe to rent? Mm-hmm. And like, I don't think we found it. We did not. <laughs> Because we were trying to watch, like, the best pictures, and that one in the year Citizen Kane was out. Oh, John Ford. You have so many better films. Alright, next question. Gotta get back to it. The next question is, what is a film that Blank needs to watch for the first time? Okay. Alright, I chose for Kylie... Goodfellas. Oh, yeah. Why? <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, why there's, I... <laughs> there's, I just have so many questions. I mean, I know why I picked yours. It was very clear. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> because you say the words that sometimes you have the taste of a film bro. 
And Goodfellas <laughs> is nothing if not a Fumbra movie. Two. <laughs> two. Two, and maybe more importantly, um, I think Scorsese is a filmmaker that you would really jam with and jive with. Yeah, he made um, a perfect film. And so I wanted you to experience more Scorsese, including what some folks out there would consider to be his best film or like his masterpiece of all masterpieces. That one's his masterpiece? Yeah. So th- there is arguments to be made for, I think, three other films, but like... Hugo? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hugo, uh, Silence. Um... I love Silence. It's a nearly perfect film, Josh. <laughs> yeah, it's just a little too loud. <laughs> if only they could turn it down just a little bit. <laughs> Am I just praying to Silence? Um, so, I thought that since Scorsese was a filmmaker that you like, but you have not seen a lot of his work, I wanted to give you that experience. Yeah, I've seen two. (laughs) Two Utah. You've got Taxi Driver Uh and Silence. Yep. And now now Goodfellas. Goodfellas. Uh, it's interesting to me that this is his... So, I was about an hour into the film, and I just texted you. Yeah. Is there a plot? (laughs) (laughs) And my answer was, ish. Because I was, uh, I was worried, like, I missed something. (laughs) (laughs) But it turns out it's a character study. Yeah. About people who want to be in the mob. Yeah. And who enjoy it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I don't love this film. That's okay. It was... If I, if I put my... It was very hard to grapple with these characters in a way that I was very interested in their journey. Okay. Um, and I think an example would be someone like Tr- Trevor Pickle. Travis Pickle? Mr. Pickle. <laughs> Mr. Pickle. <laughs> Travis Pickle and Taxi Driver. Yeah, where... I mean, like... He's not a redeemable character, but, like, man, he sure is interesting. Yes. Um, what do you mean? He's a hero at the end of that movie, <laughs> Kylie. From one side of the argument. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Dude, he gets, like, a Medal of Honor or some nonsense. Like, he's hailed in the city of New York. Yep. <laughs> From one side of the argument. Yeah, no, totally. That's the gray area in a Scorsese film. Um, where with this... Uh, our, the main character, whose name might be Joe. Henry Hill. <laughs> is someone named Joe? Joseph is, um... De Niro. De Niro. And Tommy is, uh... Pacino? Pacino. Not, no. no. Not Pacino. <laughs> uh, Pesci. Joseph Pesci. <laughs> yeah, there was the Joe. It's Joe Pesci. Um... Them as characters were was a little bit less interesting for me. Um, the, the the most is the main character because we spend the most time with him, and because it's his narration and his inner inner monologue, you get a little bit more. Um, you get a little bit more into what's going on with him because De Niro and Pesci just seem like we love this. Mm-hmm. This is great, um, and they just seem especially Pesci. Pesci just seems like. I'm an angry boy, and I will if you st- if you go against me, and and th- that was his most motivations, and that I wasn't as intrigued with that. Um, yeah. And De Niro's motivations was self pr- 
self-preservation, but also no. he enjoyed killing people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Just keep going. It's over there. Just keep going. It's around the corner. Yeah. Don't uh, go. Don't go. Uh, the wife. Mm-hmm. When the wife started having inner monologue, I, I quite enjoyed that part. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't continue giving it to her, because... No, no, we're done with we're done with this <laughs> You've lady. You've had your say. <laughs> we're done with this lady having a voice. Um, and I thought that getting her perspective of the mob was interesting, and I I do wish that in some way we could have continued that. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but overall, I was just kind of like, oh man, I hope all these people die. <laughs> Some of them did. Yeah. If it's helpful. Today, mm-hmm. 2019, they're all dead. If, if that's Is helpful. this based on real people? Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> that end card happened, and yeah. I was just like, all right, Scorsese, you sure are no, annoying. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Marty. Jeez. Uh, yeah, no, they're, it's based on a... Bi- it's based on a book... That is an, a biography of Henry Hill's life. Um, and so, yes, this is based on real events. <laughs> yeah. Why is this his masterpiece? Um, okay, so I think it's in the conversation. Okay. Um, and what I like about this film, and so there's, there's, two, there's two views of this. Yes. There's the film bro view of it, which is like, whoa, look how cool they are. Wow, wouldn't it be cool if we could kill people? Let's be in the mob, everybody. We're going to go to the Copa and, like, treat women like crap and, yeah, like drugs. And that's the film bro side of it, all right? And then there's actually this. Yeah, that's the side of me. (laughs) That's not you. (laughs) I am definitely, like, I don't know, Josh, it's pretty cool when they do that thing. It's kind of cool. Have you ever considered that maybe it was cool? <laughs> yes, I have considered that maybe it was cool. No, I'm not saying that Goodfellas was cool, but like with another film. Like when you're like chasing through the trees, I'm like, yeah, it's pretty cool, isn't it? It is cool. I like that. No, no, that's cool, all right? Like slow, like floaty chases on board with. Um... And then there's the other half of it, which I think that Scorsese is actually more interested in. And what I've come to watch this film and look at it is, and and after doing some research into what he was trying to do, I actually think that the film serves as a deconstruction of the gangster genre. So he does this in response to To show, like, how crappy it is. Yes. And how, like, terrible it is. And how we should... (laughs) Yes. Because, like... We love it in other things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna. I'm. I does this, this come? It, does this come out after the Godfathers? Yes. Um, after one and two, I think depends on when in ninety. It's either before or after three. Okay. I would. I would dare to say it's before because I think this is a summer, and I think Godfather three is a winter. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're the same year. Yeah. I can see this being a deconstruction because, like, man, that guy has a terrible life and, like, yeah, and he just so doesn't seem happy. He doesn't. And he does this by, and a lot of the times, the gangster films of the past that turned these these gangsters into these mythical 
kind of like wild west type figures you know um they're usually done in the era of the crime boss and the people who's in charge of running and stuff like that even something like miller's crossing which also comes out in 1990 um it is from that era of or it is a part of that like ooh, look at how kind of cool we all are as we're doing these cool things well i think miller's crossing has a little bit more to say than that but it still holds reverence to them Scorsese wanted to take it from what he determined was like the ground level and what like it was to be kind of not on the top but to be one of the guys one of the good fellas the wise guys who were the ones that were actually doing all this stuff and he wasn't trying to actually glorify any of it the narration that you talk about is specifically added into the film because he wanted to shoot this like a documentary and so he used this um, narration to help give a talking heads kind of feel to it and that's why you get not only Henry Hill but his wife's perspective um, and then you also see a lot of like times where like it'll stop and it'll basically just be Henry Hill narrating from the future like in those still frames and then there's a lot more free movement of the camera there's a lot of lower angles a lot of just lower to like help set the world and where it is um, so basically I like this movie because I think what Scorsese is actually trying to do is say this world sucks. Unfortunately, a lot of people just see it as like, man, gangsters are cool. <laughs> and so that that is the complication with this film. I think that Goodfellas, much like a Big Lebowski, much like a Fight Club, um, I don't love the fandom that surrounds the movie but I personally do enjoy the movie quite a bit. And I, and it's because I'm not asked to, I'm not asked to feel sympathy for these characters. I am asked to relate to them and their day-to-day -day problems, which I think that he does a good job at doing. Um, because in that weird sort of way, where like, there's the sequence late in the film where um, Henry Hill is strung out on drugs and he's going to do his day-to-day -day errands, but everything just keeps mounting up, and you feel this, like, initial paranoia of, like, someone's watching me, I can't get everything done. Like, that's a relatable thing. Like, this day that you have where things just keep building and mounting and things are getting worse, and, like, you feel like you don't have enough time. Like, there are relatable scenarios in the movie that allow you to not necessarily feel sympathy, but feel empathy for the characters. And that is the something that I like about the movie. I don't know, I've never been like, ah, oh, man... It's hard dealing with these helicopters. <laughs> it's a metaphor, Kylie. <laughs> also, I feel like we would not do Goodfellas justice if we didn't briefly mention, like, hey, the Copacabana shot's really cool. It is really cool, but it's talked about a lot. The scene where... And that's where we're introduced to people, and they're all in the, the club abusing women. Yeah, I was there. Yeah, it's the first date. <laughs> all right, Kylie, I got a question for you on this movie. What's up? Two actors... Nominated for Oscars in this movie. Joe Pesci. Yep. De Niro. No. The Lady. The Lady. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, there you go. So now you've seen The Goodfellas. <laughs> the Goodfellas? The Goodfellas, yes. <laughs> Who are in The Good Place. Who are in The Good Place. And part of The Good Liar. Yeah. While eating The Good Burger. No. <laughs> nice try though. Alright, Kylie. What? What'd you pick for me? Uh I just it's a little it's a little blip of a film. 
pretty sure it was such a beautiful day. It is such a beautiful day. It's like 62 minutes. Yeah. It's <laughs> a stick figure animation. Whoa, he's got a body that's got some width. Disagree. What? No, he's just a stick figure, right? No. Okay. Look at it. Look at him. Oh. All right. <laughs> advanced. How dare you speak about Bill that way? <laughs> advanced stick figure. Yeah, and the ladies have triangle bodies. Yeah, okay, fair. I knew the ladies had triangles, <laughs> but yeah. Um, this was an experience. Kylie, why did you pick this film? Yeah, let's start there. Oh, okay. Well, you know. I mean, I've seen your four favorite films, so you should see my four favorite films. Yes, fair. Um, Was this the last of the four that I hadn't seen? Uh, yeah. I feel... So, like, I just... This might be the last of the top ten. No, I think that there's a French film you haven't seen. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen all of my ten? I would be real hard-pressed if I hadn't. Scene, 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 scene. Oh, the other one of the... To rewatch was Moon. That was another one that I had as an option for you. Oh. Because you're always like, I gotta rewatch Moon. I do need to rewatch Moon. The rewatch one was hard for me for you. I struggled. I I I I thought Toy Story Three was the proper answer. I had seen it once in 2010. I'm an adult that collects toys. <laughs> I feel sympathy now. <laughs> I don't know why, I just, like, I felt like... <laughs> I weirdly felt like you... Okay, this is wrong, I know this. But the reason why is because I felt like you were just saying it to me, like, Josh, you want me to rewatch Toy Story 3. And I'm like, well, yes, I do, but I also, like... <laughs> no, because I knew you were struggling, so I was trying to give you ideas. I know, you were trying to be so helpful. At one point, I had the terrible idea to be like, rewatch McFarland, and you're like, Josh, I watch this every month. I, whoa, 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 whoa. Sorry, every other month? Every day. <laughs> okay. One of those is incredibly difficult to find nowadays. Mustang? No, I'd go with another Earth. Oh. I have thought maybe if they took <laughs> Mustang off of Netflix that it might just be hard to find. I think that... I think that it, it'll... I think that we can still find it because it had that Oscar nom. Another Earth? No, Mustang. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, Another Earth and Melancholia came out in the same year, and they both had a similar premise. And I was like, why is this the movie that gets two premises? Like, or two movies on the same premise? Um. Yeah, no. <laughs> I am basing that on having only seen the trailers for both films. Melancholia is about the moon gonna kill us. <laughs> and Another Earth is that... Another Earth is gonna kill us. No, they just they just discovered a planet exactly like ours. Okay. Yeah. Alright, fair enough. All right. It is about there are a lot of similar shots. Like like there are a lot of things that look the same. <laughs> um also one of them is about uh major depression and not overcoming it. And one of them is about Major depression and overcoming it. Oh, very, very lots of differences. <laughs> Space, depression. It matters. <laughs> but yes, I understand how they yeah. can. Be, they're 
I understand how we can view them similarly. No. Um, anyways, it's such a beautiful day. I, another reason is you like, you liked his other film. You yeah. liked his short film of World of Tomorrow. I did. And you were like, World of Tomorrow is great! And I was like, yeah, it is! <laughs> I know it is, Josh! <laughs> so you need to watch it such a beautiful day! You're like, you don't get to be the Don Hertzfeld expert now! <laughs> that is all me! I saw three minutes of his film and now I love Don Hertzfeld! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, I've been watching him since uh, 2016, so, you know, it's fine. It's all good, yeah. Uh. This is also just, like, this is a film with such a weird cult following mm -hmm. that I was just like, someone else needs to understand! Yeah, it's you. And John. David Ehrlich. And John. And David John. Ehrlich loves this? Oh, yeah, this, like, he talks about this film incessantly. <laughs> Well, and I wanted you to be closer to David. It's like this and Carol. So. <laughs> I just wanted you to really understand who yeah. David was as a I person. I fair. I, this film movie was a trip. Like, I think that in an hour, Don Hertzfeld explores more themes of humanity and society than a lot of filmmakers can do in their entire career. It uses its animation really, really stunningly well. Um, I, so, yes, it is a stick figure character, but on top of it is just so many different styles and types of animations in the world that he lives in. Uh, Hertzfeld uses repetition. Hertzfeld uses small visual cues. He uses different colors to represent. And there's not, there's definitely not a plot. Um, it is a film that is seems to be exploring, I don't know, life's question of why we're here and what it means, and it doesn't bother to give you an answer, which I very much appreciate. It just says, this is this person's experience, and then Bill just becomes this ever more, ever increasingly sympathetic character as what... I read, and this might have just been me trying to place some characteristics onto the character, because I don't think it's ever spelled out, but, like, I read that he's suffering in some ways from, um, oh man, ironically enough, I'm blanking on the term, it's not amnesia, it is what old folks have when they- Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's. Yep. Yeah, um, I believe that he's got some form of Alzheimer's or some form of, like, something happened to his brain and he's losing his memories as he goes. A lot of... I I do... I interpret it more as brain cancer. Okay. Or um, just because of how young, in quotations, Bill is. Yeah. Because there's so many details left out. But, like, because there's these things of, like, repetition that Bill does and, like, how um, his family is still alive and, like, his uncle and things. Uh, so that's made me put a little bit more of, like, a brain cancer or another disease like and that. fair enough. And, yeah, absolutely. And some symptoms are similar to that. But Don Hertzfeld, even in World of Tomorrow, he's so, he's interested in memories and yeah. how we try to piece together our perceptions of the world in order to create comfort and to 
understand who we are through that. Um, I think that It's Such a Beautiful Day is just such a little human story about this character who we don't know anything about. Yeah. Um, who... We know one thing. His uncle sucks. Solid hat choices. <laughs> Love his hat. <laughs> um, and the narration over it, which in the beginning has a more humorous tone to it and as the film just goes on it gets more and more like Mm -hmm. terrifying and no this isn't how it ends yeah like that that turn for me so no this isn't isn't how it ends and I guess spoilers for the end of this film so skip ahead a little bit if you don't want to hear you can find it online for free Um, 62 minutes (laughs) (laughs) uh it ends in this way where you think that we're leading towards Bill's death, and then we don't. Bill is Bill is infinite, and he lives forever, so to speak. And I wonder if... So, in my brain, I'm still definitely struggling with, or at least contemplating what this ending is, because I've only seen it once. Um, I wonder if it has to do with Hertzfeld's ideas around memory in that maybe so this is I think what I at least took there could be a literal way where Bill lives forever but the film itself doesn't seem all that literal to me and I wonder if maybe that they're talking about the idea that Bill will live forever meaning that in memory and in the in those ways we all live through infinite amount of time because what we place upon this earth forever is ourselves and our and our impression on the people that we know and meet and as long as they keep passing on the stories we will live through infinite space and time that's at least maybe a, a reading of it and I'm no not bill's sure. god Bill, bill's just god yes no i think that that's i think that you hit it on the head yeah um i mean i've talked about the you are forgiven scene uh most important my favorite scene do you want to do you want to explain it out here to our listeners no everyone just go experience it it is an experience you are forgiven (laughs) isn't everything wonderful no 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 maybe it is i don't know it's kind of a really nice day bill walks around the corner I do like that within, I don't know, maybe this is, again, me placing something out of the film. Because I think I like this film because you can place yourself on top of it. Bill is a surrogate for anybody watching. I do think there's this strange amount of optimism in this film. It's not a film that looks upon the, the situations presented or the negative situations of the world as, like, the be-all, end-all, end of things it does have the sense of optimism to him that like even within all of this it is such a beautiful day you know and, and i like that about the movie yeah go watch it i mean it's easy to find um there's a simple google search in which you can find it um but also if you rent it or buy it that'd be cool too i would i would own this movie absolutely i once posted a picture of bill looking up at the sky that says isn't everything amazing on my facebook and someone said no it's really not and i was like Oh, you've missed the literal point of my existence. Did you respond back with that? No, I just deleted their comment. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know how to respond with, 
Uh, no, it's it's a metaphor that we have to try and make things better. We do, yes. Well, maybe next time I will. Are you seeing if they talk in that? <laughs> no, um, I'm trying to see who directed it. Although these these captions are they're very small, because I came upon this in some way, shape, or form when I was looking at something. I don't know why. Anyway, I just got distracted. I'm sorry. All right, so Josh. Yeah. Uh, the third question. Yeah. The third question is, what is a blind spot that you'd like the other person to fill? And I picked blind spot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the movie Blind Spot. Yes, yeah. uh, that is a blind spot that I do need to fill still. You haven't seen it? No. Sandy. <laughs> Sandy is fine in it. Sandy is fine in it. Sandra Bullock. She won an Oscar for the film. Oh, that's the blind side. You're right. Blind spot or blind, blind spotting, spotting is the David Dig film that I haven't seen. You're right. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm wrong. Yeah. I should you're, you're never okay. try and make jokes you should. again. You should make them all I the time. I hate my life. Uh, so in earlier conversation, so I picked Enter the Dragon, uh-huh. Bruce Lee's uh, <laughs> film, Enter the Dragon. And the reason I picked this is because Kylie had said uh, that she enjoys, um, uh, she enjoys things that are from Asia. <laughs> Films that are from Asia. She likes things. She, I don't people. know. If she likes. I don't know. I, I can't. So I say if she said she likes kung fu movies a lot, but like I feel like when we were doing the like best fight scenes episode, and she was like super into it. Um, I mentioned Bruce Lee as like one of my faves, and she's like, "Oh, I haven't seen any of Bruce Lee's films." And so I thought, well, with that mixed up with the timely relevance that Bruce Lee has again in our summer conversation uh, with his portrayal of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I thought this would be a good time to watch Enter the Dragon. I need you to watch. Watch his other film. Which one? I don't know. Birth of a Dragon? That might be what it's called. What? It's not a... It's Bruce Lee's not in it, but it's about Bruce Lee. You need to watch that, and then you need to tell me which one's a better portrayal of Bruce Lee. Okay. I understand what you're saying now. Birth of the Dragon. Birth of the Dragon. Okay. Because I hated it. <laughs> you hated it. I did. Um, yeah. So, Josh, first things first, you didn't tell me this was the director of Jim Cotta, and I just don't understand why you wouldn't let me know that. The director of Jim Cotta? Yeah, Jim Cotta. What is Jim Cotta? Oh, oh Josh. <laughs> oh, Josh. Uh, sorry. <laughs> um, Jim Cotta is a film about a, uh, he's a ninja. Okay. Uh, and he's a ninja because of his gymnastic skills. Uh-huh. And he goes and he fights people. That's all it was. Great. I love it. I <laughs> Like, he gets sent to a, like, a fighting competition. It's great. Kurt Thomas, actual gymnast, main character. We're not... <laughs> so. Alright. Um. So, Enter the Dragon. I'm trying to put... put my thoughts together. This was the first film I watched. Um, I think that... I think that what I appreciate most about this is its fighting scenes and the moments of the the fight sequences because that's where I think I get the most out of Bruce Lee's performance. Mm -hmm. Um, When he's sneaking around being a spy, 
he loses a lot of his charisma, in my opinion. Okay. And so, I was when I was watching that, I was like, no, just go punch someone. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Fair enough. And I think that part of it's also because he's playing, like, a monk, maybe. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and, and so I think it was trying to, it was a, a more subtle... Um, performance as opposed to the portrayals that I have seen of Bruce Lee I was expecting like we're gonna go in high charisma and then we went in here and we were like oh he's gonna be a lot more like in tune with nature and controlled and I was like no Bruce Lee just punched someone no that's not what Bruce Lee's all about Bruce Lee is, is and always was about like the actual mantras <laughs> Of um, martial arts. Why and, have we uh, never portrayed that then? Yeah, I don't know. Um, so that so that was just something different. Uh, I I think I give this film about three stars because I was, <laughs> when we weren't doing our action scenes, a mm-hmm. lot of the plotting was a little was not as interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, even like John Saxon, he goes on a little adventure and he's not very interesting. He like there's a thing about like a cat and like heroin or something. <laughs> I was just kind of like I, it felt like we were trying to mix a martial arts film with a James Bond film with a black exploitation film. I'm glad you nailed exactly what they were doing. <laughs> Good and it, job. It felt too much. Yes. It felt too much uh, mixed together. Um, but once we hit a, once we hit where he goes on oh, with the snake. Once we get the snake, from then on, I was like very engrossed. But that lead up, I was like. I thought this was a fight competition. <laughs> and we've only, like, folded a man in half once. <laughs> yeah, jeez. <laughs> um, yeah. My first encounter with this movie mm-hmm. is that my cousins and I were watching 90s seminal classic Mortal Kombat. And my uncle was like... Why are you guys watching this less good version of Enter the Dragon? And then we were like, what? And so he's like, hang on. And he goes to the video store while we finish watching Mortal Kombat. And he gets Enter the Dragon. And then we watch Enter the Dragon. And we realize, oh, it's the same plot, pretty much. Um, yeah, I think I was expecting more of a blood sport than yes. I was in Enter the Dragon. <laughs> um and so that's kind of my first entry into not only this movie, but into Bruce Lee. And then at which point then we spent like the rat, like a little bit of time, like watching all three Bruce Lee movies and we were able to get the Green Hornet TV series. Um, he only so, has three movies? Like uh, three American released movies. Okay. Yes. Um, it's uh, Enter the Dragon, The Way of the Dragon, and uh, Something Fist. What about Death Game? His movies are um, Enter the Dragon, The Way of the Dragon, Fists of Fury. Um, He's also got things like The Big Boss and Marlowe, which I'm not sure if they were released here in America. And then it's a lot of television and other things. Um, So Bruce Lee's life uh, is relatively short. 
Um, he Enter the Dragon is his last film. Uh, it's actually released posthumously. Um, and there are many theories and reasons as to to why Bruce Lee's life is as short as it was. Um, but uh, and they all basically come down to different health issues and theories, unless you subscribe to an ancient, uh, 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 a supposed ancient Chinese philosophy that said that he was cursed. Um, so there's there's also that. Um, if you want the actual, <laughs> if you what want happened? the rundown of this, there there's a really good episode of You Must Remember This, which is called The Short Lives of Bruce and Brandon Lee. Um, and it covers both both of their stories and their lives and stuff like that. And I thought it was, it's a really good episode. Um, it's very interesting that Bruce Lee has such a impact on our culture considering how little he is in film. And in a very similar way of like, not Marlon Brando. James Dean. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he is held up in that way. And I think that part of that is, is there is this Bruce Lee resurgence in the 90s. Um, and I think that is so people showing their kids the, the old stuff they liked slash Brandon Lee is popular again slash like the, that whole era gets really, really iconic. Um, and they have like they come back those those symbols, um, including Bruce Lee of the of the ancient of the older cinema in that time because of a nostalgia push during the mid 90s also. But. Bruce Lee, this movie comes out after he dies, and it's kind of the star maker for him. Because he'd been, like, hopping around, doing other things, and he was kind of building his way up. And then this idea of him being a leading man is is hard in Hollywood at the time because of, you know, racism. Um, and so he had to go over to China and start making movies and then come back. So Enter the Dragon is one of the only times on film that Bruce Lee actually gets to talk in his own voice. A lot of times he's overdubbed because the American studios thought that he was, his accent was too thick um, in order to be heard. And so it's one of the more pure Bruce Lee performances, which is, I think, why it, it holds up as maybe his best and most iconic. To talk about the film a little bit itself, I agree with you that I don't think anything that's not in a fight sequence is not the most interesting part of the film. Um, I like the little plottiness that there is because, like, I personally enjoy not only Bruce Lee's performance, where I agree with you that there's, like, there is a very big distinction between, like, Bruce Lee fighting and Bruce Lee sneaking around. Um, this was also theoretically supposed to be a backdoor, um, a backdoor spinoff and way to get Bruce Lee into the Bond franchise. So uh, the Bruce Lee at the time, or not Bruce Lee at the time, the James Bond at the time, I believe was George Lazenberry. And like, they were like going to like make a movie together. Um, and this was theoretically going to be, yeah. If you had a gun to my head and said, who's George Lazenberry? <laughs> I would have no idea. <laughs> he's, he's like a brief Bond. Um, he's like in between um, Moore and Dalton, I think. Who's Moore? Roger Moore. Oh, okay. I, I know that one. Yeah. Dalton? James? Timothy Dalton? Tim, Timmy Dalton? Yeah, Timmy Daltz. <laughs> Guy from Hot Fuzz. Oh, man. Maybe that's my blind spot. <laughs> <laughs> James Bond? Yeah. I mean, sure, it's mine too, but we don't need to go there. Josh, you could have picked... Uh, there's so many genres I don't like. This guy is one of them. Well, I didn't... I'm not picking... I didn't pick a blind spot because you didn't like it. I picked it because 
I think Bruce Lee is somebody who you would enjoy going through his going through his brief filmography. Anyway, the movie itself is good. I like the fight sequences. They're really fun. Bruce Lee himself is so insanely charismatic. The final fight scene in the mirrors is one of my favorites. Um, uh, which is given homage to in John Wick Chapter 2. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> which um, didn't know until now. <laughs> but yeah. I'm so. a, I'm a, I understand Chad. Yeah. Like, Chad's homie. Yeah. Like, like Chad, <laughs> Chad's background with like the Lee family goes. Chad's to Helsky's goes, we're talking about. Goes deeper than I could ever have imagined. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, anyway. Um, I'm glad that you enjoyed watching Enter the Dragon, and that made me now have some context for Bruce Lee, who's one of my favorite kind of like classic actors. More than just Birth of the Dragon. Yeah, there is. I feel like you're gonna watch that and be like, I hate this. I do. There is also a '90s Bruce Lee biopic called Dragon: The Bruce Lee Story, um, and it's with oh man, what's his name? He is also in other things. Um... Jason Scott Lee. Oh, it's directed by Rob Cohn, who is the Fast and Furious director. What's strange, Josh? What? Why is Edward Norton, like, signing up for these Alita films? There's going to be more Alita films? I assume so. It made money. It's It literally sets itself up for a sequel. You're not wrong. I don't think there's going to be any more. Why? Who released it? Robert... Rodriguez. Fox. Oh, okay. I don't know. Disney likes money. Disney does like money. I don't think that that movie made enough money to make a sequel. They're friends with James Cameron. They are friends with Jimmy Cams. And I think that he'll push for it. Mm, he busy with his Avatar sequels. Listen, he'll push hard for it. Okay. That's why... But... What, what, what was your thoughts on Alita? I don't, I don't think we ever got to those. Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> Jack Courtney's there because he's friends with James Cameron, I think. Um, <laughs> I don't think I could tell you the difference between Jack Courtney and Sam Worthington. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. The lead of Avatar? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. I can. Okay, well, what's the difference? Well, Jack Courtney is buffer and taller, and uh-huh. he has blonde hair. Oh, and Sam Worthington's blue. No, Sam Worthington has black or dark brown hair. And he's an Avatar. And he's shorter. He's a Navi, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I had no Poppins hype. Poppins hype was real. It was here. Um, yeah, so Josh, what did I make you watch? Your blind spot. Oh, your blind spot was, um, hard times. And <laughs> <laughs> your blind spot was Xavier Dolan. Nope. Yep. Oh, it was? Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. I got it confused. There were several of them that could have been there. What did you think it was? Uh, uh the anime. No. <laughs> no. Your blind spot was Xavier Dolan, and I went yeah. back and forth between, who am I gonna, what genre would you have hated then, Josh? French? Canadians? <laughs> Hard to like people? Yes. Anyway, so uh, your blind spot was Xavier Dolan. Xavier Dolan's a homie. <laughs> Xavier Dolan is a homie. We've been best friends. He's been making films that have really speak- spoken to me for not ten years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's got mommy. I was gonna make you watch mommy, and then I was like, eh, we'll hold off on mommy. <laughs> You're like, just just wait in. Wait in to the Xavier Dolan. No, first. I think I just 
pushed you straight forward. If you were gonna wade in, mommy would have been a much <laughs> Oh shoot. <laughs> Um, mommy's much more palpable than Tom at the farm. Oh, dang! You're like, sink or swim, deep in, go! <laughs> you and Xavier, have fun. Yeah, it's a psychological thriller. Yeah, it is. Also a genre that I'm hit or miss on. I think that that genre is hit or miss on itself. Yeah, fair enough. Um, can I tell you that I think Xavier Doland is the reason I love this film? Like... Direction aside, which I think he did a great job at directing this movie. Titular Tom. I like his performance a lot. I think that it's really layered. It's really captivating. He does this thing that I think a lot of actors struggle with. Which is taking a character who is making poor choices. Or I will rephrase to saying making poor choices according to me. Um, I don't know. I think they're poor choices. I think that's pretty universal, but I don't want to make assumptions. Um, And he makes it relatable. He makes it so that the... You at least to some extent understand why he's doing it even if you don't want him to be doing it. And stay and that it is staying at the farm with his former lover's brother, who is a nightmare of a human. Um, Francis. Francis, one of the great cinematic villains of the world. Um, Top of the Farm tells a story of Tom, who is from a city, who goes to a small town in Quebec. And for the funeral of his boyfriend. Um, And it is not known in the town, specifically to his boyfriend's mom, that his boyfriend was gay, let alone had a boyfriend. So that his sadist brother decides that the best thing is to, to try to perpetuate a lie to keep the happy world that is the farm alive. Is that the basic plot structure of the movie, so to speak? Mm Mm-hmm. And then it discuss it. The movie itself then proceeds to explore what these unhealthy relationships are and why they they exist and how people get caught in them and how people stay in them and how even if you enter a introduce a third party that can see that it's bad and unhealthy, it's not always the easiest way to get out of them. And it does so in this weirdly unique and relatable way. I just think that the way the film is paced and it's shot and the way you experience what Tom is experiencing at the farm, you're just, you're with it. And this is one of the best portrayals that I have seen of unhealthy relationships presented in an honest way and a way in which you really want the other person to be like, no, please make a better choice for yourself. And I, I, I'm a little bit repeating there, so I'm going to end. But in, in all, that, that's what I liked about this movie. It, it had something to say. It wasn't just presenting weird, strange ideas to present weird, strange ideas. Yeah, Xavier Dolan is actually pretty good about um, showing the toxicity with family and how those relationships easily form and how it's difficult to get out of because of our societal views on family Mm -hmm. and how you should be loyal no matter what 
Um, Xavier Dolan also, what I appreciate with his LGBT films is that he doesn't always, because of the lack of representation, um, Mm -hmm. and a a lot of times with modern LGBT films, uh, the main characters will be, like, very, will be pushed more towards the angelic side. However, Xavier Dolan doesn't feel doesn't feel the need to be like just because I have an underrepresented an an a underrepresented protagonist, I'm gonna I'm not gonna just make them a perfect angel. Yes. He Tom is very everyone is very flawed in this film because they're humans. Humans? Yes. <laughs> And I like I even struggle when watching this movie to be like, what is Tom's? Because there's a there's an attraction to the brother, and I just that part I'm like I don't. What is your attraction to this brother? Like I just don't. That's something that, and I'm not saying that it's wrong of the film. I'm, I'm saying this in terms of like Josh personally never understands why people have an attraction to people who are bad for them. Like, and that's something that I know is true in the world, and I'm not saying that is not real, but like. That is, I, that was one of my struggles with this movie. Is like I'm like, please make better choices because this person is so clearly toxic and bad. Like, how do you not just run away so quickly? Frustrating. Not, but in that good way that films can be frustrating. If that makes sense. Like you're like, ah! yeah. Well, welcome. <laughs> Welcome to the farm. Yeah, top of the farm. Um, if you've not heard of this movie, it was streaming on, or I think it is still streaming on Canopy, um, which if you're not aware of what Canopy is, we've talked about it before in the past. It's an app in which is connected to your local library. Um, you should get it. It's really cool. You get rentals per month. It's awesome. Um, and yeah, I think that Xavier Dolan is a filmmaker on the rise, so to speak. I, I think that... He doesn't have anything that's really in the mainstream, but I've heard of Mommy. His, it, his biggest and most critically loved film is Mommy. Uh-huh. And then it's probably Tom at the Farm. Yeah, I was going to say, these are the two that are like kind of starting to bubble up until that when he breaks through. I feel like, did you say he's also an actor in things? Yeah, so he started as a child actor and he saved his money to be able to finance his first film, which is called I Killed My Mother. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. It's a metaphor. <laughs> Skip. Oh, Josh. No. <laughs> um, and he he will be in it chapter two. That's who. Briefly. Oh. <laughs> um, do you want me to tell you? Do you want to know? Is it spoilery? Mm. I've seen the miniseries. No, I just gonna be in the miniseries. Oh. Um, my understanding is he's gonna play. So, I I think in the town of Derry, people are just evil because of the influence of it. Somewhat, sure. I think that... I'm pretty sure Xavier Dolan it just plays someone who's a victim of a hate crime. Okay. Um, because of his sexuality. Because of the rise of the evil of it. Oh, okay. As an influence. I, I'm pretty sure... He's not going to be there for long. Okay. I'm sorry, that was really dark. He's not going to be here much longer. Um, yeah, so I think that he's a filmmaker on the rise, and I think you'll be hearing his name more often, so if you want to get on the ground floor of a filmmaker... Oh, he's also in Boy Erased. 
Oh, he is. He um plays the uh, French Canadian guy. Yeah, I like. Yeah, okay, I like that performance. Yeah. Okay, what's next? The next question is. What is a film that you dislike that the other person may like? Okay, um, <laughs> we're going to start with Kylie. We're going to start with the one that Kylie gave me, because that's been what we're doing, and then we'll get to the one that I gave Kylie. Wait, um, no, I'll go first. But we've been, we have a pattern, Kylie. We're gonna, but we, we messed it up the first time. No, we didn't. Because it went you, me, and then me, you, is what we did. No, we did me the first all of them. We did, because we did, um... Crouching Tiger, mm-hmm. and then whatever I assigned you, um, <laughs> Citizen Kane, mm-hmm. and then we did um, Goodfellas. No, we did the other one, and then Goodfellas. No, too. we did Goodfellas, and then it's such a beautiful day. Oh, we did. Yep. Well, let's talk about playtime. Here we go. We're gonna do it. We're gonna talk about playtime, everybody. Time. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying sleepy time? Sleepy time. <laughs> Jacques Tati's, uh, playtime. Uh, Kylie, why did you assign... Oh, wait, did you answer why did you assign me, uh, Tom at the Farm? Oh, yeah, yeah, let's see Xavier Dolan, and, you know, I just... Let's go, let's go for the the hardest first, and then if Josh can withstand that, then we're good to go. You are good to go. Alright, uh, why did you assign me... Uh, film that you hate that I may love, Jacques oh, Tati. The other reason is because your blind spots suck. Because all they are are foreign language films, and That's I just not a hundred percent true. But yeah, yeah. It's easier for me to know yes. you haven't seen a foreign language film than me being like, oh, have you seen Goodfellas? <laughs> yes, fair enough. <laughs> have yeah. you seen Silence? <laughs> have you seen E.T.? My uh, my blind spot is modern Scorsese. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen a, a Fincher flick. That would be something like, like you just yeah, gone, yeah. this whole time. It's like, yep, I've never. Uh... I think the true cult, like in terms of that, what my answer is is James Bond. Like that's uh... the that's the true blind spot. But I'm really happy we didn't fill it. Yeah, because I've seen very little of those. Yeah, well, you've seen the modern ones, which I guess is all I've I... seen. I've seen most of Brosnan, sadly, but that was just because my, like, those came out at, like, Thanksgiving and Christmas time, and my family was like, let's go watch the, the Bond movie, and I've seen Doctor No, and I've seen Skyfall. Wait, you didn't see Casino Royale? Oh, I've seen Casino Royale. You didn't see Quantum of Solace? No. I didn't see Spectre, either. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm over it. <laughs> um, what film was we? Uh, the fi- playtime. Why did Sleepy you assign me <laughs> playtime? I don't know. Just like the films that I generally dislike. I mean, like a lot of the films that I dislike, you also dislike. So I took all of them out of the running. <laughs> and so then I was like, well, I ha- I'm gonna go for films that I dislike that critics love. And I was like, well, Josh will follow along with them. <laughs> <laughs> people who view films as like critically and like think about stuff <laughs> and, uh-huh. and it's okay, it okay with looking at like I don't know 20 minutes of a girl eating a pie oh it's so good like she's just emoting through it oh I love it yeah so I was like well, playtime seems like <laughs> we're just eating a pie the whole movie <laughs> 
We need context even apply, Kylie. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> if they don't understand, they can't listen anymore. Oh. <laughs> if you don't know what it, we mean by 10 minutes of eating a pie, you can get out of here. But, anyway, uh, Playtime, Sleepy time. is a film <laughs> that is for Weird. this <laughs> man who's played by Jacques Tati, who Jacques Tati is, I would say, the end of an era, and this is one of his last films. So he grew up... Um, so I've known about Jacques Tati when I've not seen any of him, but he grew up in a vaudevillian family in the ancient touring times. So he's got a history that is really similar to like a Buster Keaton and a Charlie Chaplin, but he's much later along the timeline because of just his age and stuff like that. And so Playtime is a film that is similar to some of those classic silent films, the classic silent comedies in a lot of ways. And I didn't hate this movie, but I struggled with this movie. It was boring. Um, a little bit, yes. <laughs> I do like some of the bits. So this is a movie that... Oh, that was the other reason. You love bits. I do love bits. Bits are solid. Um, the bit with the, when the door breaks and the guy who's gonna, like, just be the door now because it was a glass door and that's his whole job. Oh, solid bit. We come back to it, like, three or four times. It's, really, it's a good bit. Um, this takes a lot of focus. This takes a lot of attention to detail. And it also takes your understanding of modern society. And if you don't have that, this, this, this film's even harder to watch. Um, I get where this is boring. Because <laughs> it's boring at times. I like the craftsmanship that's on display here. Um, I, I like the fact that this was all a set and that a lot of these are long takes, and that, like, the craftsmanship that is on display in this film that is, like, a comedy of epic proportions, of epic scale. And it, and it has something that it's trying to say about the world. I appreciate that. I like Tati's overall performance as this character. Isn't it, like, trying to parallel, like, American tourism at some point? In some ways. I think he's just trying to parallel modern society. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. In that, like, we're losing grasp of our past, and we're losing grasp of... We're becoming modern for modern sake. In order to appease others. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's a lot of that commentary there, which is all good and solid, but it's, it's kind of a schlog. Like, if it wasn't for the craft and the filmmaking, I definitely, like, would like this movie a lot less. But I can sit there and look at it. And you're right. Like, that is something that I can look at. It's like, man, this was good. I like this <laughs> that this was on display. I can't say I'd ever watch it again. Um, and there are older movies, that, like I said, on the uh, Keaton and Chaplin vein that do what he's doing better with characters and plot. Um, I would say that the more, the post-playtime, post-Tati reference that points to this would be something along the lines of, like, Peter Sellers' Pink Panthers or Mr. Bean. Um, <laughs> uh-oh, uh-oh, I found one Kylie likes. Um, <laughs> I love Rowan Atkinson. Because that is also a mostly silent character who is doing physical bits, um, it is also, you could say, in the line of the Marx Brothers and Three Stooges. Like, it's a very classic comedy that's going down here. And your mileage will 100% vary with it. It's so beloved, though. It's like, 
when I was doing research for the foreign language film episode, it was like number three on so many lists. And I was like, well, I'm gonna like really educate myself with this. And it was so boring. <laughs> I was so tired. Um, you were a Thai Thai girl? I was sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is. It is beloved. It was not beloved in its time, though. It was a financial failure, and like he had to like really try to claw himself out of this. Like, he financed this movie himself. He went into bankruptcy because of it. Like, this movie was a financial failure. Um, and it is only with time has the appreciation of playtime come around. <sighs> Except for Kylie. I'm, I mean, I don't love I'm this I'm an either. uncultured heathen. You like Citizen Kane, though. Yeah. It's the best film ever made. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I was looking at Toy Story because... I'm like, what's the line that Mr. Potato Head says to to, to the you uncultured swine to, to ham? I was gonna say to pig. <laughs> to pig. <laughs> oh, the other film of yours, like you need to watch again, was Babe. <laughs> was Babe? Yeah. yeah. What's Babe again? I do. I, I could watch Babe. Not Babe Two: Pig in the City, though. I mean, that one's also good. It's yeah. directed by George. Georgie Borgie. Yeah, he he only produced the first one. Alright, so... So then Josh wanted me at first watch Tremors. Okay, I struggled with this one, and I almost was like, maybe we should cut this question. Um, Because I was like, I I personally have a hard time recommending movies that I don't like. Because I'm like, while I can see the value, I'm not sure what the point is to watching other people. So yes, I first was going to assign you Tremors, which is a movie that I just think is dumb, but a lot of people love for it being dumb fun and that it is it is a good time at the movies. And I was like, Kylie likes good times. And then I was like, <laughs> and then I did it. And you're like, Tremors? Ugh, no, why? <laughs> and I was like, fine, you're going to get the other one that I was considering, which was... Mom and Dad. Okay, and so the reason why, and I may have a fundamental <laughs> misunderstanding... <laughs> about what you love about Nick freaking Cage. But you have said for a long time that you like Nick Cage, including Crazy Bonkers Cage. And this is probably the most recent example, I think it's a 2018, 2017 film. Where he is consistently um, crazy the entire film. Where he's consistently crazy and it got positive reviews and positive buzz. This film was like, yeah, Bonkers Cage is back and he's great. Yeah, I had super fun. Um, Awesome, I'm glad. (laughs) I didn't fail. (laughs) No, this this was a good good choice, Josh. (laughs) I was worried. Here's the biggest error. It's that soundtrack. The soundtrack is awful. (laughs) You're not wrong. Josh, you need to understand the tra- the Kraken. And yeah, how what's up? Josh, just let's think about the greatest film of last summer. Oh, okay. <laughs> HT, HT3SV. Yes. Yeah. And how does he raise the Kraken? Oh, he raises it up with music. <laughs> with with trap music. Oh, well, okay. Okay, great. And how do we combat that? The Macarena. The Macarena. <laughs> Are you saying that you want... A mindlessly happy song as they put it in the film. Are you saying that you want a recut <laughs> of Mom and Dad with Los Del Rio doing the soundtrack? <laughs> yes. Um. So when this film started, 
like the first scene i was like oh this is a b movie <laughs> oh yeah absolutely <laughs> and then i was once i realized that i was like okay let me put myself at that level <laughs> i i the, the film is just ridiculous and silly it doesn't answer any questions uh it doesn't feel the need to its ending is very just like Bleh. <laughs> the ending the ending also just feels like wait but i want to know what happens next uh, the characters are fairly flat except for at times selma hayek gives mm-hmm. some things there um yeah, she's trying yeah, yeah we follow her for quite a bit yeah um yeah nick cage is like the fourth largest part of this movie yeah like it's like mom or it's like kids and mom and then cage is over here yeah yeah well listen uh, so it's we had to take it in yeah. steps. Um, the film also has this weird editing thing where like we'll be in the middle of like killing a kid and then it'll just like flash back to like a happier time. Yeah. <laughs> and as you're watching it, there's still a benevolent presence from these parents, and I was just like, <laughs> were these parents never good? <laughs> Um, yes they were never good that's true (laughs) it's actually one of the things that bothered me about the movie yeah like it it just it kind of just says that the parents were always terrible um yeah it would have been to me a more satisfying movie had the parents that were presented in the film been good parents who were maybe just frustrated with the actions of their children and then like then when the virus which i think is what happens there's like an airborne virus that's released i don't know there's something about static like there's 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 like a bunch of static either radio or tv screens in a lot of shots and then like the parents try to kill people so like whenever this rage for lack of a rage rage virus um happens then i think that would have been an interesting thing to like uh, look at with here we get these two parents that are not great parents who listen on a bad drunken day could maybe just off their children anyway so like huh i mean nicholas cage has a line in one of the flashbacks that's like if you ever touch that car again i'll kill you yeah and i was like i was literally like uh, (laughs) um i also kind of wish that I don't know. I, I it seemed like it affected every parent, and like I don't know, like what if like there was contrast where like if you were like a good parent, you could like fight it. Yeah. But you, you could not. Um. Oh, the ending. I love when Nicolas Cage's parents come over. That was. I gave it twenty stars. <laughs> that moment, I was just like, "Good, this is correct." Yeah, because the grandparents are now going to try to kill Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> I didn't have fun. I wanted to have fun, and I didn't. It's okay, Josh. Yeah, it's okay. You, you also like this whole thing called, like, character. <laughs> and, like, purpose. Okay. <laughs> and so, you don't like uh, just, like, people screaming. <laughs> you don't like people singing the hokey pokey in a yelling voice. I just wanted to be terrified, and I wasn't. <laughs> you do uh, the hokey pokey and turn yourself around. So the whole reason I watched this was because it's from the director's director of um, three films that I dislike and one film that I do like. So Crank, not great. Oh, uh, what about Ghost Crank Rider, Two? Ghost Rider Two, not great. 
whatever this other one is, but Crank 2, good times. Crank High Voltage, good times. Would recommend, no alcohol required. Like, let's go Crank 2. Any movie that starts with Statham being thrown out of a plane and surviving? I'm good. I'm on board. Um, it just wasn't as fun. with Statham. Being thrown out of a plane. Yeah, just in st- oh, okay. <laughs> All right, uh, we, we got some good ones. I got a, I got Snatch up there. It's got Statham in it. I'm a Snatham head. So that's not his name. Statham head. I'm a Statham stan. Yeah, I mean, listen, you did probably enjoy Hobbs and Shaw. Sorry, Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw more than I did. Yeah, but I mean, like, I, there's a caveat. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't care about those characters in any other context. <laughs> So their motivations and reasoning, I was just like, sure. He killed Han, you guys. Yeah. He killed Han. I agree, Josh. <laughs> he also, I don't know, might not be a pet. I don't know. <laughs> also, where was Luke Evans? Why couldn't Luke Evans be in the movie? Different family film. Oh, maybe he dead. I think Luke Evans might be dead in that series. He's alive. Is he? He's an eight. <sighs> Briefly. What? Where? Where's Helen Mirren? She's in jail. Where? Well, oh, fair. We see her. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Where's Luke Evans? I don't know, Josh. Exactly. <sighs> he's not important. He's the first Shaw. Hmm. All right. Well, okay. Uh, the last one. Oh, okay. The question is... I put a lot of effort into this question. This was like, look question, maybe all questions. And I had to really, like, search inside myself, and I had to think carefully because I didn't know if I would have another shot. This might be one shot, one opportunity to give it everything you got. Mom's spaghetti. Do you go for it or just let it slip? What's a film in a genre that they hate that they might love? <laughs> that they might not. Alright. Do you want do you... So Josh, let's talk about Okay, we're gonna a film. Okay. Which one? Which one do you want to talk about first? Either one's fine. Josh, so perfect blue. Okay, perfect blue. <laughs> so I picked anime. Uh-huh. Because my options were a horror or anime. Uh-huh. And it's much easier to convince you to watch horror movies. Yeah, because, like, you've done it. You've somewhat convinced me that that's a valuable genre. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> the other hurdle <laughs> is non-Studio Ghibli anime films. I, I appreciate your caveat of non-Studio Ghibli, because I'm like, yeah, Ghibli, sure, yeah. <laughs> the other people making <laughs> the films. Um, and I was like, uh, there were, there were, there were a lot that came to mind that I was like, I could, I could see it happening. But the three I ended up landing on were, I, like, really had it narrowed down to was Perfect Blue, Akira, and... A Neon Genesis movie. Because, one, Neon Genesis has giant fighting robots and kids. So, like, Josh would have fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Akira, which is very heavy in metaphor and steeped with uh, a lot of visuals. And I was like, Josh may like this. But I ended up going with Perfect Blue because a lot of the other films that we could have explored a lot of the classic anime they are dealing with a lot of metaphor for um hiroshima and 
the atomic bond bomb and i didn't want it to just be i while that's a very important part of the history of anime i wanted something that was steeped less in that metaphor and something that relates to Josh a little bit more. So I picked Hollywood! Ah. And I decided to show him why it's terrible. And then... <laughs> well, I already know why it's terrible, Kylie. Once upon a time in Tokyo, Hollywood. Yes, yeah. Um, so Kylie then decided to show me the uh, second film in all of existence that just flat terrified me. Um, one point, Aunt Charlie was sitting next to me, and, like, he was trying to leave, and I was like, no, you can't leave, I need you. <laughs> and so I just held Charlie for a good long time, until he was like, no, I have to go, and I was like, fine. Yeah, it is scary to be a woman, I know. Uh, you're not wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong. Um, Perfect Blue is a film that explores, um, Amy, what's her name? Mima. Mima, thank you. Uh, Mima, who is a Tokyo pop idol, um, and her and her agent and her um, social, I don't know, friend? What, who's, uh, what's that lady? Uh, what's She's kind of like the president of the fan club the image in ways. Yeah. maybe in a way. Yeah, publicity manager. That's a great one, her publicity manager. Um, decide that they're gonna she's gonna switch from being a pop idol to being a serious dramatic actress and this film follows that story um adds a stalker into the mix and ends up being a terrifying film about identity and about what Special, so what, what I found particularly horrifying about this film, and I, I actually ended up really loving this film. I think that the animation is really strong. I think that, yes, there's a few areas where it was clear that, like, they had to cut some corners, but, like, when th they were cutting it to, to be able to use it later on in the film, so, like, it was all great. Like, I was really on board with the animation of this movie. I found myself questioning at first why it was an animated movie, but then when we got to the back half of the movie I started to really understand like oh yeah there's a lot more that you're doing with animation here um but the film becomes I think even I think is more relevant probably today than when it was made 1997 so 97 we have the internet and we have chat rooms and we have this world that's starting to form around this idea of what your cultural avatar is and what you are in a public space all the time. And in 97, the way that we can start to look at that is through celebrity and through fame because they are the ones that are already dealing with this idea of celebrity, fame, culture, what your identity is to the public versus the private, can you have a private life when you're a public star? We fast forward to 2019, and now we've got this, these micro-celebrities who are famous on their little platforms, but they also have their own identity that they're dealing with, and their own fandom that they're cultivating, and all of that as well. And so this topic that's talked about in Perfect Blue 1997 blows up to this extreme because even to all of us that have 
a social media platform in some way or even a podcast in some way, we're putting forth a public version of our private self. And so there are some issues that are being talked about here in Perfect Blue. What what right do you does anybody else have over your public identity when you want to change it? What right do you have to control what you are and who you who you are? Um, there's also these questions that are asked when she's the character is asked to do some things in the dramatic TV show that are definitely crossing, for lack of a better word, crossing a line of innocence, crossing a line of you were one thing, now you're certainly this other thing. It's how we view, like, Disney Channel stars yeah. in a lot of ways, where when they were young... So, like, Miley Cyrus is a good example because she's still relevant. When she yeah. was on Disney Channel, you know, she was Hannah Montana, and she were, like, a very innocent, like positive portrayal and then um as soon as she was done with that she wanted to strip that image Mm -hmm. whereas this character doesn't want to strip that image but she feels like she has to yeah absolutely and so we get this this representation through this creepy website who we believe is run by this terrifying stalker um and it, it starts to talk as if it is actually her and if it is her voice. And it it is basically chastising her for all the choices that she's currently making and, and using her old pop idol image against her and, and holding it over her head. And just the film then goes on and we, you know, as she breaks down as a person, which there are several just really hard to watch scenes of her trying to come to terms with who she is now and what her life is and and the choices that are there and then how this stalker character is torturing her and just holding her past over her what her current self is and it just yeah it's i don't even know if i'm explaining it well but like it was it's it's a movie it's it's hard to watch and it deals with a lot of things and this this idea of you don't get to control your own identity anymore is very relevant and very terrifying good movie thank you what are your, what, do you, what, what do you what do you want to add to that's it that's great yeah <laughs> well it is but yeah I also love there's a really cool shot that that the director does and this director has done uh, several other things he's done like uh tokyo godfathers which is one of them that i've i've seen tokyo godfathers um that would be the one that i've seen um and there i think he's got one called paprika that is really well known yeah i wasn't ready to give you paprika because that's that that's just a super strange film but i think that this one is a nice he seems to want to explore reality and like these like ideas of what is real and what is not and i would be there's some interesting theming that is similar between it's a beautiful day and perfect blue just in that sense of like playing with and distorting and discovering reality and your place in that reality um i know i am pretty great at yeah picking films yeah, there you go um so yeah, there's this wonderful shot of this stalker who, like, the first time you see him, he's like, I don't know what he's doing, why he's doing it with his hand, but like, you see him and he's holding up his hand, and in the like, she's dancing on stage, and in the 
palm of his hand, it looks like he's holding her. So it's just, just like this shot. And he's looking at his hand and looking through it. And it's this, this wonderful piece of animation using forced perspective to just show everything that that character wants in one frame. He's not actually in the film all that much, but because of shots like that and because of how he's used, you understand that instantly. Um, There is a reveal of, of who the actual uh person is behind it and i think that's an interesting look at at like what obsession is and what that can look like um but yeah i i, I wouldn't necessarily want to spoil it per se because even though it's a 20 plus year old film like i didn't know and it was a good reveal and it worked on me so um i think the film has a lot to say and that's really awesome um i've been avoiding seeing the director's name because i don't remember his last name but i'm pretty sure his first name is Sh Satoshi Khan. Satoshi Khan, thank you. He's a good, I would I would definitely I would watch more films from Satoshi Khan. All right, our last one up. What's up, Josh? Is uh, is the film that I gave Kylie in this category? Welcome to my blog. My name is Kylie Gallagher, and today we're going to talk about which one is it? Before Sunrise. There you go. Um, we made it to sunrise. No one died. We did. That yeah. was surprising. Well, Josh. Do <laughs> we start with why? Why I did this to you? Yeah, because you like, you like this trilogy. I do. I really love this trilogy. Um, the before sunrise, before sunset, before midnight trilogy, all directed by Richard Linklater, and the back two are also co-written by him and Mr. Hawk. Hawk and Dopey. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow! So, wow! This first one feels very Linklatery. Yeah, and I, I, they all feel pretty Linklatery, but like that's a good to me. That's a good thing. Yeah. Um. Because like Linklatery is like I just can't make the eat and eat the film easy. I'm gonna make it challenging. Ah. <laughs> uh, is that what he sounds like? <laughs> no, but sure. <laughs> I uh, think this is. He's from Austin, Texas. I'm gonna make a film for 14 years. 12 years. 12. Yeah. I'm gonna make a film for 12 years. I was listening to an interview with the producer of that movie, and he also runs AMC Networks, who helped with IFC, because IFC is owned by AMC, um, who helped put that together, and he was like, yeah, some years it was really easy to be like, yeah, go for it, Richard, and some years we weren't doing as well, and he'd be like, really? You need more? Like, what? why aren't you done yet? <laughs> 12 years, everyone. <laughs> I'm gonna make it for 12 years. I'm gonna make a scanner darkly, and I'm gonna make it animated, but, like, we're gonna have them act it out anyways, and we'll animate over it? Or something? He's, I, he likes to explore film. I mean, his first <laughs> film is almost the opposite. It's, I got this camera, and I've got this kid, and I'm just gonna go around Austin and improv scenes with all of my friends. <laughs> I'm gonna put Uma Thurman, and the guy, and two of the people from um the uh, dead poet society i'm gonna put them in a room and i'm just gonna watch their conversation play out yeah he's <laughs> he is probably the world's most low-key experimental filmmaker <laughs> like... i'm gonna remake a richard mouthow film and cast billy bob thornton great yeah walter mouthow what did i say richard no oh. no I'm sorry that I don't know names. <laughs> that was great. Um, so, yes. 
I picked this movie not because I thought it would have you come around on the genre of like romance films. I did not think that that's what this movie You wanted me to just watch them all. I wanted you to at least watch this one in the hopes that maybe the others would be interesting to you. But this, I think, is a movie that I would hope um, would, it kind of to me, it moves past its genre itself and is just a good movie. It's not a genre movie in any way, shape, or form. Um, and so that's why I was hoping that maybe if, if this would at least open up to more Linklater and to more of this franchise. Also, I knew that you uh, liked Old Hawk, so we gotta get some Young Hawk in there. I don't like Young Hawk. <laughs> Ugh. Oh. He's so dumb. <laughs> He's so mean. Alright, Kelly. Like, I think about, like, how stupid stupid stuff is, but I don't verbally say it to the people. (laughs) (laughs) He's not gonna be there in six months. I'm sorry, everyone. He's not. You gotta gotta watch uh, Before Sunrise to figure it out. I already did. Or Sunset, sorry. No. (laughs) There it is. This film should have played in real time. Should have been an eight-hour <laughs> film. So that we could really experience their, their choice to not go to the play. Yeah. Like, what are you doing for eight hours that you forget to go to this play? They're falling in love, Kylie. They're walking around. They're falling in love. They're walking around talking about stuff. Well, I mean... What else do they talk about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the palm reader... The poet guy? Yeah, he's also a jerk about the poet guy. Like, oh, he probably just puts in a word and then it's all just there. And I'm like, yeah, we all have that inner thought be the knock. That doesn't mean that we say it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that that's your take on the character. Like, Shut it, Ethan Hawk. <laughs> uh, Josh, this film feels like a fairy tale. Yeah. You're not wrong. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it right on the head. Um, because the 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 premise is that these... I mean, here's the log line on Letterboxd. Can the greatest romance of your life last only one night? Um, I don't, I don't know. Like, they were like, I don't know. I don't believe people fall in love in a night. I don't know, Josh. I don't know. I don't know. Josh and I was reading all these Letterbox reviews, and everyone's like, "Greatest romance ever," and I'm like, "It's yeah. a night." <laughs> I don't know. I think you have to buy into the concept that no forced conflict, no dumb, sad characters, yeah, no forced poppy. I mean, like all of these things are true. It is. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just. Oh, I can't not say it. Yeah. I mean, the thing about this film is that it's just—it's literally just people walking around having conversation yeah and like i think that in that in itself makes it a far more interesting movie than a lot of the other films of the genre Mm -hmm. um it focuses on their relationship and that's how it's going to get you to believe that being a romance is that you believe that their conversation and just their time together which shockingly enough is how relationships work when you spend time with someone you like them or you don't like true story um that's what it relies on Mm mm-hmm and Ethan Hawke is... I just want to punch him in the face. What, what, what is your Letterboxd <laughs> review? Should, should, we, uh, should we put that out, the, out in the world? 
It's already out in the I world. I mean, it is out in the world. It's got two likes. <laughs> um, me. Hate self. Ethan Hawke. Acting out my inner monologue in real time. Me. Oh, this is what hell is like. <laughs> like, I was just listening to everything that Ethan Hawke said, and I was just like, man, I really hate hearing myself talk. <laughs> You're just watching this, and you're like, I'm in this picture. Yeah. Uh, he's talking about, like, his relationship with the girl in Spain. And I'm like, so you just got out of this relationship? And you bummed around Europe for a minute, and now you're like, alright, here we go. He's worldly now. <laughs> um, I think that it's actually in the beginning that I was kind of like, nah, I don't, I don't buy this. Is that he's talking to her, his, his, um... The way that he convinces her to come out, come with him, although, like, she says, like, maybe she would have done it anyways, is that he's like, when you're married in the future, and you have the, and you're fighting with your husband, and you have those thoughts of, man, what would have been like if I had gone with that American boy? Well, now you can experience that. And I'm like, so that when she's old, she can then be like, <laughs> she can be like, great, that was terrible. <laughs> Glad I went with this guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I'm I, like, Josh, how did these other two films happen? Do they just run into each other again? No, he comes back. No. <laughs> He's got a different haircut. It is not six months later. He looks older. Yeah, they're ten years apart, each of them. Really? Yeah. I thought it came out in 2004. It came out in 2007? No, it came out. Wait, what? So this is 90, 95. It's 95-04-2013. So they're <sighs> nine years apart. Sorry. We only need a few more, and then we can go back in time. <laughs> We could end game in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ringlayer's got to start putting them out a little bit faster for us to get here, but. Uh, you're looking at 2022. All right. Coming soon. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't either. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. I would kind of be surprised. Uh, the other truth of the matter is there is a contention that says Before Midnight is the best of the tr of the of the trilogy, and I'm like, I like that movie a lot. Ah, best is uh, strong words. This is my favorite of the trilogy. I like them all. Don't get me wrong. Oh, uh, the log line there. Log line there is everything's better with maturity. Well, you're not wrong, but I think that like that's actually a good log line. And to get to a point that I was going to make too is I think in Before uh, Sunrise. You kind of do have to buy into this idea in this world of, like, you can fall in love in one night. Youth is a really big factor in this because they're both college age or, like, late. Ethan Hawke might be a little older, but, like, Julie Delpy says, like, at one point she's going back to her last year of school. Like, this idea that you can just find this romance on a whim or you want to spend an evening with it. So you have to kind of be open to this idea of experiencing humanity or experiencing another person in one night. You know, and that, that's kind of a romantic idea and a romantic notion. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what I like about this movie is that it, it does play with that. And it, yeah. It's how we wish it was. Yeah, absolutely. On Ethan Hawke to stop talking. Did you, uh, did you enjoy your experience with Before Sunrise? No. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> so would you watch the other two? If you asked me to. Okay. Well, that seems like a <laughs> seems like a win. Josh, I'll watch any film if you asked me to. Maybe not immediately, but eventually <laughs> down the road I'd get there. All right. This is also like so like it's really it's really bizarre. 
that I watched this film when I did, and then it made me like, maybe there's hope in life. But like, you watched it, and then another friend who I know in real life on Letterboxd also watched it the same day. Oh. And then I was like... <laughs> huh. And then I was talking to not John, but John uh-huh. uh, about this, because this is one of his favorite films, and he never asked me how I felt about it. <laughs> Tells you, my friends. This is, I also love this film. It's close to my top 100 if it's not... In, no, it's in there. It's in my top 100. No, but, like, you asked me how I felt about it. He didn't. <laughs> well... And I, don't, I didn't just offer up my opinion. Uh, he loves the whole trilogy. Yeah. And I'm always like... This is so unlike you. But laughs at me when I'm like... Titanic's great. She doesn't have to make the commitment. He's dead. It's all fine. I mean, Titanic is also great. great. That's why it's the greatest love story. No. (laughs) Greatest love story set on a boat. We fall in love after a day. (laughs) So sorry it doesn't take place in an epic, tragic location. (laughs) It's just in Vienna. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Josh. It's very. I'd be willing to continue because Julie Delpy. Yeah, Uh wasn't annoying. I like her a lot. Yeah, yeah. Both performances are great. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Ethan Hawke is good in it. (laughs) But like, I was. I put it on, and I was like, I'm gonna have to deal with a young Ethan Hawke character. Okay, well, listen. In the next one, it's it's medium Ethan Hawke, but then old Hawke. He's right there. It's not that old, but like... Will this guy grow up? I mean, you would assume. It's not the same character ten years (laughs) later. Or it's the same person, you know. But we change? Yeah. Do they just keep, like, running into each other? You have to to watch them. (laughs) I feel like they just keep running into each other. (laughs) It's just the same premise three times. (laughs) Different European city. Yeah. But, mate, yeah. Um... Okay, I have a question for you. Okay, I got an answer. I, I sit down, and you've been like, all right, Josh, let's watch some movies. You g- Give me some options, and I will pick between the two. Uh-huh. I'm going to pick before <laughs> sunset right. and before midnight. Which one are we watching? No, no, no. So, like, you're like, we had two films, and you're going to pick. And I say, okay, great, here are the two films and your options. You're going to watch before uh, sunrise, sunset. sunset. And before midnight, we're back to the future two and three. What are you doing? What are you picking? I'm leaving. No, no, you've already agreed. Dodgeball. <laughs> I'm sorry, not an option. <laughs> Why is that not an option? You're DVD because right you there. told me that I could pick these two and we'd watch them. What, what do I get in return? <laughs> Nothing. Oh, wow. <laughs> the experience of watching movies. Oh, I don't know, Josh. I mean, you can have something in return. I'll watch all of the Mads Mikkelsen films. No, you won't. <laughs> so many foreign language films. I'll watch every film that Mads Mikkelsen and Ben Mendelsohn are in together. <laughs> oh, that's even worse. <laughs> Come on, Kelly. What do you do? What do you do, Kylie? How long are these? Uh, Eight, are... 80 minutes is, is the middle one. Because are... someone's review was 80 minutes! <laughs> they're equivalent to the first one. 
those. Okay. They're yeah. shorter than that. Oh, great. There you go. I was mostly just going off of like, hmm, let's, let's see what trilogy Kelly would watch first. Interesting. Josh, if you were literally like, Kylie, if you don't watch Back to the Future, I'm going to hate my life forever, I'd watch them. I'd watch them all three again. I don't need you to watch them because, of the, cause like, yeah, you watched the first <laughs> I mean, I like two and three. I mean, I hear that they're fine. These are supposed to be good. Yeah. <laughs> Kylie, question for you. Would you do this experiment again? No. No? <laughs> oh, no, why not? <laughs> This was your experiment! I know. <laughs> How many films did I like? One? <laughs> I really liked Susan Cain. Oh, two. I really liked Mom and Dad. Yep, those are the two. I really liked Moments of Enter the Dragon. Okay. What else did I watch? Goodfellas? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and before Saturday. I wasn't so sure about Goodfellas. Okay, rank them. Go, go, go. Five to one. What, what I ranked I? the... Um... I'll go Citizen Kane, Enter the Dragon, Mom and Dad, Goodfellas, and Before Sunrise. Okay. I will go, um, oh, this is hard. Playtime, Tom at the Farm. Wait, I did from high to low. Oh, sorry, I'm going to do from low to high. <laughs> uh, Playtime, Tom at the Farm. Oh, I could reverse this at either point. I'm going to say It's Such a Beautiful Day, Perfect Blue, but those are really close. And then Crouching Tiger. Also, you need another reason why I picked Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is I'm always like, Michelle Yeoh! And you're like, uh-huh. <laughs> and now I'm like, no, Michelle Yeoh. <laughs> yeah, the lady from Sunrise, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That lady who's going to be in the new Paul Feig film. Is that that Christmas thing? Yeah. Absolutely. With the guy, the other, with the guy from Crazy Rich Asians, Henry Goulding. Goulding. That yes. sounds like his name. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh. Yes. Um. So we just, we we're just like, no, no, Constance Wu, we're done with you. <laughs> no, she's in Hustlers. Oh right. Yeah. How could I forget? <laughs> Not the hustle, but Hustlers. Josh, what are we? What are we? What? Nothing. Never mind. All right. I would do this experiment again. Sure, let's do it. Do well, we, we don't have to. Do I was we, just saying. No, do we get to change the questions? Uh, if there's anything that we think needs changing, but also I think that we could answer these questions again at some point. No. <laughs> this time you're going to make me watch Toy Story 3. What if it makes me cry? Toy Story 3, okay, great. Uh-huh. You're going to make me watch Before Sunset. This is all just... <laughs> <laughs> plan before it might be my plan now <laughs> yeah, we just have to do this once a year oh we can do it twice a year great what if what, maybe we'll make it quarterly okay yeah <laughs> or semi-quarterly because i'm like because i'm like i'm like after we do all of these and then we go on a break because we won't record anything like we watch the movies and because our work is a lot less yeah well, we could do it somewhere here Yes, we can figure out another time to do this. I would enjoy this. All right, I'm going to make my list. If there's a way that... There... Hey, Josh, make your list not at trivia. <laughs> if there's a way that there could be, you know, a couple of films that I could not read, that would be helpful. Yeah, where are your blind spots? Um, okay, so... <laughs> James Bond? Uh... Yeah, but I don't think you'd like those. 
I picked films that I really hope you'd like. I still think sci-fi is a blind spot for me in some ways. Why don't you go through my collection and see which ones are terrible that you think? I mean, I you're like what sections are terrible? Yeah. I don't think your sections are terrible. I just don't think that they're very filled in. Well, I only have so many. Is that a good way to put it? Yeah, fair enough. Like some of the horror films you have are good. Listen, I think that my <laughs> musical selection is solid. Yeah, your musical selection is probably one of your... For a genre that's not comedy or drama, yeah. like, it's surprisingly filled in. Yeah. Oh, shocking. I like musicals. Yeah. You have, like, eight really good horror films. <laughs> <laughs> um, alright, fair enough. Um... No, no, I, I was mostly joking. We can, I can, I, I enjoyed watching foreign film in a lot of ways. It was just um, that you had literally just done the gauntlet. <laughs> yes, like I just watched like the best ofs, and then there was this. Yeah, so, but no, I'm good. I'll I'm find good. you some magician films. All right, yeah, some magician films. The Illusionist. <laughs> Yeah, the greatest illusion of the illusionist is that it's not the prestige and I'm disappointed. <laughs> Alright, Kylie, grab the Planet Hollywood game. No! <laughs> Please? <laughs> there, there, listen, there's so few cards left. There's only like a hundred-ish or so. <laughs> yeah, but look at the pile we've gone through. We've gone through over half. <clears throat> oh, sh Okay, well, you won that one. What is it? <laughs> name films with Elizabeth Tyler or name films with Melanie Griffin? Well, pick, pick who you Do you want to just do both? We could do Elizabeth Taylor or Melanie Griffin? Sure. Okay. Cleopatra. Um. A Cattle Hunting Roof. No, this was fun. <laughs> you got any Melanie Griffin films? I don't know who that is. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, Josh, you did so well. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Alright, friends. Well, thank you for joining this conversation. I thank you for listening. If you want to join this conversation, you I'm can... I'm in my blind spot, <laughs> Melanie Griffin! Alright, here we go. Uh, you can do so at friendofafriendpodcast.scorespace.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Leave us a five-star review or any star review, as well as hit that subscribe button. You can also... Hello, <laughs> oh, great. You can also find us on Facebook at Friend of a Friend Podcast and on Twitter at EWT underscore podcast. YouTube. Ducks Watch Together. Tumblers. Ducks Watch Together. Letterboxd. DRBC and Kylie Gallagher. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for listening. I've been John. Quack, quack, quack. quack. quack.